The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Welcome back to Pod Save the World. I'm Tommy Vitor. I'm Ben Rhodes. Uh, ben, viewers on our YouTube channel or Snapchat will notice you have a different background, which signifies you are on the road. Where are you at? Uh, yeah, there's a very large dragon behind me. Uh, I'm in uh, I'm in Taipei. I'm in Taipei, Taiwan, Tommy. Nice. That is very cool. Uh, how much are we allowed to talk about at this point? Well, I'm, uh, you know, I'm over here doing... It's not a secret mission, don't worry. Uh, <laughs> um, but I'm over here... <laughs> Uh, doing a writing project, let's just say it this way. So uh, there'll be more to come on what what that is. But uh, I'm talking to a lot of people. I uh, actually had dinner last night with uh, Emily Wu, that careful listeners of this uh, podcast yeah. will know was a guest recently. Uh, very good Taiwanese meal. Um, awesome. So yeah, this, I made it through quarantine in this room uh, for for three days and four nights, uh, and now I'm out in the world here, and it's great. Listen, what you guys at home need to know is that Ben cares so much about you, the audience, that he's doing this show on a plus 15 hour time change. Is that correct, Ben? Yes, yes, yes. So much so that I, I missed my uh, 6 a.m. mark here, uh, but I you know made what? it. I made it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We <laughs> have a great show today and Ben is here and there's a cool dragon behind him and he's eating uh, the delicious food of Taiwan. We're going to talk about uh, the UK as a new prime minister. There's been a rough week, a couple of rough stories over the weekend for Israel's record on, on human rights and transparency. Chile voted down a new constitution, an assassination attempt in Argentina, some updates on Ukraine. Politico's new owner got a Washington Post profile, and it was a, a doozy, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Uh, China lockdowns, much like your lockdowns there. Uh, some updates from Kenya, Canada, Afghanistan, and then finally, uh, a grifter is hawking some new products in a barbecue row, Royals, France. So we got a lot to cover. No guests today because obviously we are Ben's on the road. But Ben, uh, I imagine when you get back, you're going to have some serious jet lag. And so if you need to stay caffeinated, we have you covered. Go to crooked.com slash coffee. Uh, now through Sunday, September 12th, there's going to be a sale. You get free shipping on orders over $35. If you use the code fuel up at checkout, a portion of every order supports register her. It's a great organization. It's working to uh, register uh, women voters across the country and activate them and get them to the polls. So check that out. Okay, Ben, first topic. Our friends in the United Kingdom have a new prime minister. Her name is Liz Truss. She's a 47-year-old conservative. She most recently served as foreign secretary. She defeated Rishi Sunak, who is the former chancellor of the Exchequer, uh, basically their treasury secretary, by 57% to 42% in the recent Conservative Party elections. So Truss kicked his ass pretty much. She's actively one of the longest-serving ministers in the Tory party. She's been in a bunch of senior government roles continuously since 2012. She takes over from Boris Johnson, our friend here at Pod Save the World, uh, but she takes the reins at a, a difficult time. You got skyrocketing energy prices thanks to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, double-digit inflation. She basically ran as like a, a Paul Ryan Republican, yeah. right? I mean, tax cuts, smaller government, love of free markets. Hard to see how that will work in this economic environment, but we'll see. Very hawkish on foreign policy, especially uh, support for Ukraine, which is really continuity from Boris Johnson. 
Um, Truss went from Brexit opponent during the referendum to Brexit supporter in government. Now the European Union members are watching to see what she'll do about the Northern Ireland protocols, which we've talked about many times here, but basically it'll determine how the EU and the UK trade relationship is managed and could impact the fragile peace in Northern Ireland. Uh, Truss is the third woman to serve as Britain's prime minister. She won a leadership race that was the most diverse in Britain's history, despite the Tory party being anything but diverse. So congrats to Liz Truss. Adios, Boris Johnson. Uh, we never liked you to begin with. Um, yeah. Ben, here's a question for you. What are the odds that uh, today is the best day she has in office with you know double-digit inflation and energy prices <laughs> yeah. going up like 80% in October? Like This is just no knock on her. This is just a rough, rough situation to inherit as president. It reminds me of the financial crisis for Obama. Yeah, like uh, this is not exactly like winning uh, the most coveted prize in terms of the the timing of becoming prime minister. I I think, like to me, before we even get into Liz Trust, the fact that this is the fourth prime minister that they've had since Brexit, right? Which wasn't that long ago, it was in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, so four Tory prime ministers, uh, David Cameron, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, Liz Trust. That just to me shows before you even get into her that that they don't know what the fuck they're doing. Like you know, they they don't know how to deal with the consequences of the decision that the Brexit campaign pushed, the Tory Party pushed, and these are pretty wild swings, right? You know, like the, the, these are four pretty like different kinds of people um, who've come in making you know some of the same promises but with different flavors. Um, and, and so the instability of the Tory capacity to own up to the consequences of what they did. Uh, I, I think jumps out to me. I think that that leads to the point that like the campaign she ran was fairly disconnected from like planet Earth uh, and reality. Totally. Yep. And in, in part, that's because she was trying to you know, maybe that's who she is. But I, you know, she's obviously also trying to appeal to this you know, conservative party base that, that, that votes. And which, by the way, I should say, I think the reports I saw were that Sunak did much better with like the MPs. Um, but that, you know, the, 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 the voting public such as it is, you know, the, the card-carrying Tories out there chose her, which, who tend to be even more conservative, right? And, and, and just to, like, to, to make this point, it's 160,000 people voted in this leadership election that chose the head of the conservative party that then de facto chose the new prime minister. That is just remarkable. Yeah. 160,000 Tory party members yeah. just picked the new prime minister of the UK. It is it's a bizarre system in this context to me. Yeah, it's really weird. I, I was thinking about that too, like to go from 160,000 people to seeing her there with the queen. Um, but her plans like make no sense. Like the, we, <laughs> the, the government is, they, 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 they don't have revenue. They need to stimulate the, uh, the economy. They need to deal with the cost of, of living crisis. Inflation is far worse there than in other places. And she's talking about like being Margaret Thatcher and, and, and cutting taxes and, which means cutting spending that people depend upon, basically, and, and and just kind of playing this part, you know, playing this role. I mean, so you see some of the same infection, obviously, in the Republican Party here that like you just stand up and you you yell about tax cuts and mm-hmm. and and being a hawk and and that's all people want to hear. But like that's kind of not really relevant to the, the, the like the massive snowball of problems that the UK is dealing with. Um, like, so I, I think that. I don't have a lot of optimism that she's going to be able to get her arms around the economic and fiscal challenges there. They, they, the Brexit thing, they won't, because they won't obviously admit that they were wrong, but they won't even admit that 
that this is having negative consequences. It's like they have to keep insisting. I saw her speech, you know, like it's just better than it's ever been. It's going to be so great, you know, mm-hmm. like and it it's not, you know, and you can even be for Brexit, which I obviously not and say, OK, we got some tough issues to like rough waters to go through here because, you know, it's going to there are these consequences of pulling out of this common market and isolating ourselves and our currency and our economy. But like because they won't do that, uh, you know, and because she's kind of she had to kind of reinvent herself as this kind of Boris Johnson acolyte. Um, I just don't see I don't have any confidence in her capacity to deal with this. Now, in Ukraine, I think she'll just I bet you she goes there. Right. You know, like she's mm-hmm. going to pop up with Zelensky any moment now. You know, yeah, and, Boris Johnson just went again recently. Yeah. Yeah. So I and, and, and that's to the good. I mean, I think she'll just she'll be like a, a full throated supporter of um, Ukraine. But guess what? That matters a lot less. Because they're not in the EU, <laughs> you know. Like if if they were in the EU, mm-hmm. like they could tr- you know try to hold Europe together. Like now they're just another country that supports Ukraine. So, congrats to Liz Truss. Uh, not the most uh, you know uh, eloquent politician I've ever seen in my life, and uh, not necessarily someone who who uh, has a set, an agenda that I think is is up to the the messages. Now it's on Labor. The par- the election is probably not till twenty twenty four. She said. She indicated she's not going to call an early election. They have to hold an election, therefore, in 2024. Labor has a huge lead right now in public opinion polls. It's a huge opportunity for them to, to drive a message between now and then to make sure that they're building a, a governing majority. And, and David Lammy can get in there as foreign uh, secretary under yeah. Keir Starmer. Yeah, I mean, you, you flagged um, a couple of clips from her speech over the weekend where she was talking about how it was a disgrace that the UK was importing so much cheese. It was just like very kind of weird parochial stuff in the context of this massive war between Russia and Ukraine that is making energy prices skyrocket. It does seem sort of like the there might be two parts to her administration such as it is. It'll be like getting this energy challenge under control and then maybe trying to implement the agenda that she ran on. But it seems almost impossible to do both at once. Yeah, I mean, these are still the uh, kind of Brexit type talking points like, you know, imagine becoming elected the leader of your country and like yelling at people about the outrage of of the cheese being imported, you know. (laughs) Honestly, I can see it here in the U.S., unfortunately. (laughs) Well, well, no, but you could see it in the U.S. Well, Donald Trump. Yeah, you could see anything. Well, that's fair. Right. Uh, I I didn't say we never did it. But but here, actually, I could see like a a reasonable person doing that in like the Vermont primary or something. Right. (laughs) Um, It it just but it suggests to me that they they're going to need to lose the Tories, um, knock on wood. And just kind of like wipe the Brexit talking points. Yeah, clean clean. House, they can still, again, I'm not asking people to say that that was wrong if, you know, if they believed in it. But even if I'm even if I was advising them, um, like in terms of how do you update your message, like the old like we shouldn't import cheese and that's a disgrace. You know, like let, let's kind of, you know, Boris Johnson was at least trying to do something a little more interesting not not substantive, but I think he was a catastrophe. But he was trying to make a message about you know working class voters and appealing to them. And frankly, he was spending too much money. That's the other problem: is Liz Truss has no money to spend because Boris spent it all. You know, so um, I don't know. I just uh, I'm not. I, I don't think she's going to be uh, the second coming of Margaret Thatcher. Not that I like Margaret Thatcher, but Margaret Thatcher was around for a long time. I don't think Liz yeah. Truss is going to be at number ten for yeah. that long. Uh, I think Truss already went to get her audience with the Queen. Interestingly, she had to go to Scotland because the Queen is on summer vacation at her Scotland castle. Uh, but Truss is the 15th prime minister of the Queen's reign, which is amazing and a reminder of her longevity. So best of luck. Um, we'll be talking more about this, I'm sure. Um, so, Ben, two stories out of Israel that were that were blowing up the uh, the world, though. Text chain this weekend. 
The first is on Saturday. There was a report that there was a new set of Israeli rules sort of mandating, you know, conduct in the West Bank and Gaza. And one of the rules said that foreign travelers to the West Bank must report romantic relationships with Palestinians to Israeli authorities, I think to the Israeli military, within 30 days. These new rules also said that if a foreign visitor married a Palestinian living in the West Bank, they had to leave after 27 months for, quote, a cooling off period of at least half a year. And then I guess return. I literally have like no idea what that means or what the context even is. These regulations also included a, a quotas for student visas and guest lecturers at Palestinian universities, but no such quotas uh, at Israeli schools. The PLO called the new rules, quote, apartheid regulations that impose a reality of one state and two different systems. Um, it seems like there was a ton of pressure pushing back on these rules from both European and American diplomats in Israel reversed course quickly on Monday. They dropped both this bizarre 30-day notification if you're dating someone rule and the quota for Palestinian universities and guest students and speakers. So very, very weird stuff happening there. The second story is one we've talked about before, which is that uh, an Israeli military investigation has finally concluded that it was highly likely that an Israeli soldier was the one who shot and killed Shireen Abu Akla, the, the famous Palestinian-American journalist who was killed in early May while covering the conflict. Um, this came after months of stonewalling and claims by Israeli officials that Shireen was actually killed by Palestinian militants and not the IDF. The Israeli government still maintains that if an IDF soldier was responsible, it was an accident, and they said they will not charge or investigate anyone involved. So, I don't know, altogether, it was just like a pretty rough yeah. weekend for, I don't know, common sense, Israel's human rights record, and then just transparency. Banner week. Uh, I, I I saw the headline on the, you know, romantic relationship, and, and I literally, like, thought it was The Onion or something. Like, yeah. I... I and then I, it was a BBC and I was like, no, no, is that, I had to click on it and kind of read it carefully. And then I had to read it more than one time because it, it was so bizarre. I've never heard of anything like this. I so read like, it like five times. Like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, to understand. Did you understand it? It was so uh, like, it was like population control. Like, what are we talking about? Can you not, what, what, what's going on here? I, well, or to disincentivize maybe foreigners from like falling in love with Palestinians or something. I, I, I literally I couldn't even, it's so bizarrely and specific punitive and just nasty right um that like somebody like this went through a process and got announced right i'm, I'm glad they withdrew it but like th there was you know whatever committee is writing these rules like work this For, up like, months yeah, yeah. And, and 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 someone was like yeah that's a good idea like let's make sure that if like you know uh J joe blow from the u.s like is in the west bank and falls in with a palestinian that He's got to register and get the hell out of here. <laughs> he's got to cool off and make sure he's got to think twice about whether he wants to marry yeah, this like girl. Cooling off, be like, you know? what a, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, all the, you know, if you, if, if the human rights organizations, including the Israeli ones that uh, talked about an apartheid system, got buried in a avalanche of charges of anti-Semitism. Like, I just. What is this regulation then? Like, if it's not, like, like, what, is this normal? Like, how would uh, the defenders of of all these uh, me measures that the Israeli government is taking against Palestinians, particularly in, in the West Bank, uh, how would you describe it? You know, like what something what, as innocent as dating? Yeah. What what kind of you law is this rules. then? Like, what, what kind of law is this if there are different rules for for dating? Right. I mean, where are we going to get to? They're, they're they're different water fountains, but that's what, that's just like a water management system. Like yeah, I, I, right. I don't, like we, this is getting ridiculous and people, 
like you, you know need to be able to discuss it honestly here um on the second one i you know i'm glad that 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 this reached uh, a conclusion that was very far from the gaslighting at the beginning that the the palestinian militants did this um i just have no hope you know that you know you saw in the the statement from the israeli government that basically they they're not going to do anything they're not going to hold anyone accountable and when I say hold anyone accountable, like there's both the killing itself, but then what about all the the the, the lies that followed it? You know, like, like that mm-hmm. that is there anybody accountable from for elected that? officials and stuff? Yeah, yeah, and 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 then in the U.S., like by the way, again, like to make clear, I'm not singling out Israel. We talked, I think, just on the last episode that this is our problem with U.S. investigations. Absolutely, you know, like U.S. First investigations thing I thought about that Pentagon, of, of, Pentagon rules. Yeah, the 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 drone attack in Afghanistan. Uh, you know, we did we did I think a much more, you know, uh, we didn't push the our government didn't fight the idea that this was a tragedy, but did this investigation, but then announced well we we found that nobody did anything wrong, you know, and so I think on whoever government is that that like does something horrible like this. If you're not going to hold anybody accountable, then it just it just obviously diminishes both the justice piece and, and the confidence you want to give people won't happen again. I saw the U.S. statement was basically like, we hope there's accountability, especially going forward in future operations or something, as if we'd already written off accountability in this one. And I just don't think there's much reason to believe that will be the case. I would hope that that then the next time they kill an American journalist, um, you know, who's internationally famous and beloved by the Palestinians. I hope that doesn't happen again. But, um, you know, I unfortunately, like, that's not the track record. Yeah, I would like to see the U.S. pushing a little harder. Um, speaking of Israel, I saw that Bob Menendez, who's the Democrat who leads the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, uh, was leading a a bipartisan delegation to Israel. I think this was a couple of days ago. He was joined by Senator Lindsey Graham, who I guess uh, was taking some time off from his busy schedule of fighting efforts to uh, force him to testify about his role in Trump's attempted coup attempt in the last U.S. election. And then Ronnie Jackson <laughs> went yeah. from White House pill pushing doctor to, you know, bona fide uh, MAGA lunatic in the Republican House of Representatives. Menendez decided to use his trip to Israel with this august group to announce his opposition to President Biden getting back into the Iran nuclear deal. So basically, I just want to say, Ben, thank God for Democrats like Bob Menendez, what would we do without, you know, full-throated advocates for diplomacy like him in the Democratic Party? We'd be lost. <laughs> I mean, this is completely insane. And it's kind of like, hey, Democratic Party, like we have to have a conversation about something because nobody ever like talks about this. But like the Democratic chair of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee is flying to another country to basically oppose the efforts of the president of his own party, accompanied by like the most insane people that he could possibly be with. Like Lindsey Graham, a chief apologist for Donald Trump, someone who's like ducking the law. Like going, maybe who, he's going- who, who last week was talking about riots yeah. in the street. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Trump is prosecuted. Yes, yeah. Donald Trump. Maybe, maybe Lindsey Graham's over there. He's trying to figure out what country he might have to, to hide <laughs> from the subpoena. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, like and after trying to like threaten like violence on the streets, <laughs> Donald Trump is not like, you know, uh, let go. Uh, uh, so that, there's that guy. And then Ronnie Jackson, I mean- for our our, our our listeners who do not follow us that closely, like I, I really urge you to to just look at Ronnie Jackson's Twitter feed because it's like a window into like the 
like the absolute core of MAGA, you know, and and so this is who Bob Menendez is choosing to go to another country with to, to announce like the stalest position imaginable, you know, like some, some hawkish language uh, on Israel and Iran and, and us foreign policy that could have been cut and pasted from like, I don't know, like the, the early aughts, you know, why is this person, (laughs) <laughs> the Democratic chair of the Foreign Relations Committee. You know, someone in New Jersey like, I, needs to think about whether they're going to jump into a Democratic primary and and just push him from the left. And I don't think I don't think that that the Democratic chair of, the, of any committee should be in lockstep with the president. It, you know, there should be differences. But th- this is like this is next level stuff, right? And yeah. and nobody like didn't get a lot of attention because like who would be surprised, right? I mean, I think everybody expects this. You know, Bob Menendez, you kind of price in like where he's going to be on something like Iran. But I, I do just think it hi- like the fact that he's doing this with like Lindsey Graham and Ronnie Jackson, like at a very sensitive time when the negotiations uh, like appear to not be going well, teetering. I don't know, man. It's just it it's sucks. depressing. It sucks. Know? Yeah. Pod Save the World is brought to you by the UN Refugee Agency. The UN Refugee Agency, or UNHCR, responds to emergencies and provides long-term solutions for refugees. They provide aid in over 130 countries, including Ukraine, Syria, Afghanistan, and Sudan, where people are forced to flee from war and persecution at their greatest moment of need. UNHCR helps and protects refugees by providing food, shelter, medical care, and other life-saving essentials. The agency jumpstarts relief in three key ways. They transport core relief items stored in even the most remote areas of the world. They deploy expert emergency staff trained to help in crisis situations, and they transfer funds directly to support the emergency. Because of generous supporters and donors, UNHCR can scale up its response within 72 hours of a large-scale emergency. Your support helps provide life-saving aid for refugees whenever and wherever emergencies occur. Donate to USA for UNHCR by visiting unrefugees.org slash donation. That's unrefugees.org slash donation. Support for Pod Save the World comes from the International Rescue Committee. The IRC works in more than 50 countries, serving people whose lives have been upended by war, conflict, and natural disasters. In places like Gaza, Ukraine, and Sudan, displaced families are experiencing war, extreme hunger, and life-threatening injuries. In Gaza, Ongoing violence, bombardment, and blockade have made survival difficult for families living in damaged buildings and tents. The lack of safe water, medicine, and healthy food contributes to the spread of diseases, and children are especially at risk. The International Rescue Committee is working with local partners in Gaza to provide life-saving medical care to injured civilians. The IRC works around the world to help families in crisis by delivering critical supplies such as therapeutic food for malnourished children, clean water, cash assistance, and more. Your donation will support this work and help children and families survive. Listen, the International Rescue Committee is an incredible organization. They are doing the Lord's work all around the globe. I have donated to them, you know, for many, many years now because I know that my dollar will go towards helping people. It's not going to go to administrative costs or overhead fees. It's just an incredible group doing great work. I hope you'll consider them. Donate today by visiting rescue.org slash rebuild. That's rescue.org slash rebuild. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. 
It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Listen, if you're listening to Pod Save the World, you need some therapy. If you're watching the events around the world that might freak you out, we've got this election coming down the pike. There's a lot of stuff that people uh, are stressed about, that are anxious about, stuff that makes you lose sleep, and therapy can help. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash crooked world. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash crooked world. Okay, another big story over the weekend was uh, that progressives in Chile were dealt a defeat this weekend when an effort to rewrite Chile's constitution was overwhelmingly voted down in a national referendum. This new draft constitution would have been one of the most progressive in the world. It included environmental protections, uh, rights and protections for indigenous communities, gender equality, uh, and a new national health care system. Sounds a bit like the early Build Back Better bills. Uh, that have been. <laughs> but sadly, like, I don't know, 62% of Chilean voters rejected the plan. 38% voted in favor. I saw some analysts who said maybe this thing was just too liberal and yeah. people weren't ready for it. Others were saying there was a lot of swirling disinformation about the the changes that might have led to the lopsided vote. I'm not sure. The outcome is being framed as a loss for Chile's new, very young leftist president, uh, Gabriel Boric. But, you know, the efforts to rewrite the constitution itself predate his election and tenure. Basically, the backstory is the constitution was written while Augusto Pinochet was still in charge, like back in the 70s. And I think as a general matter, it's probably a good idea to yeah. update any governing documents written by a brutal dictator. <laughs> yeah. This is like a rule of thumb. Um, the movement to rewrite this constitution, you know, sort of started in earnest in 2019 when there were these big protests over uh, a proposed increase in the subway fare that ballooned into a broader movement and then pushed uh, the president at the time, Sebastian Pinera, into calling for a referendum on whether or not to change the constitution. That referendum passed overwhelmingly. It started the process that got us to this draft. Then that draft was voted down by voters on Sunday. So basically now they start the drafting process over. Uh, Boric said he's going to reshape his cabinet potentially in response to the referendum, maybe bring it to more moderates. So, you know, look, admittedly disappointing news for progressives, but also like kind of how the system is supposed to work. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, we'll see. Yeah. I I mean, first of all, yeah, if like your constitution dates back to Pinochet or actually is a rule of thumb, if, if your constitution was written by a regime installed by Henry Kissinger Baku, it probably <laughs> needs uh, up, updating. Um, and but a lot of this kind of it wasn't like Boric sat down and like wrote this himself. <laughs> this uh, and, and so I don't think this should you know be seen as entirely a blow to him, other than that he you know announces support for it. But look, I mean, I I, I do think uh, as much as I agree with a lot of the progressive principles, it's a constitution. It's it's not even Build Back Better, right? It's not even just mm-hmm. a law. Like this is meant to be a document that presumably people can you know live under and agree with enough that they're comfortable with it under different administrations, you know, someday there'll be a center-right government in in Chile. So I think, you know, you're right. This is how the system works. Like you, you you know, you, these are all the progressive priorities that people would want in constitution. It couldn't pass. So sit down with some people and figure out like where you can find uh, something that's a little bit more in the middle that, that protects the most important of those priorities without, um, alienating too much of the population, and yeah. you know, I think it's a it's a test of how far this Latin American left, uh, in this in this case Chilean left, uh, can go before it kind of tips over into a space that makes the the middle uncomfortable. 
Yeah. Uh, staying in this sort of general region, quick update from Argentina. So you, folks might have seen this video on, online. Uh, last week, the vice president, uh, Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner, vice president of Argentina, survived an assassination attempt when a pistol was pointed directly in her face. Like she was walking to her house, greeting some supporters. Someone got a gun like inches from her face, pulled the trigger, but it didn't go off. Uh, police immediately arrested a 35-year-old Argentine man who had tried to shoot her. He was born in Brazil. Reportedly, he's into some like fringe right-wing ideologies and weird interests. We don't know that much yet. Uh, but de Kirchner has been a huge figure in Argentina's political scene for decades. She was president for many years. Uh, she might make another run at the top job uh, next year. She's also facing these new corruption charges uh, that accuse her of basically you know, funneling money to a friend. So pretty wild and terrifying scene, Ben. And again, like, of course, all caught on someone's cell phone camera because it's 2022 and we tape everything, but scary stuff. Yeah. I mean, if people haven't seen that video, it's heroin because you see, I mean, if this gun didn't jam or whatever happened, uh, this would have ended very badly. Um, and and you're right, you can't overstate like the massive figure she and her family have been in, in, in Argentina's politics. Um, and and, and you know, at a time like she's been surrounded by drama for a long time. And mm -hmm. the fact that this happened at kind of the height of her trial, obviously unrelated to that in a lot of ways, or maybe it was who knows what this guy's motivation was, just points up like how how much, you know, she's just kind of singular figure, whatever you think of, of her. And we can talk about her, her politics and positions at, at you know, another time, because right now you just want to you're glad that she's alive and OK. Tommy, I think what jumped out to me, though, is uh, you know, we kind of hinted at this after Abe's assassination. It just it just feels like with the the level of uh, emotion and disinformation and conspiracy theory in politics today, online today, you're almost surprised there haven't been more political assassinations. You yeah. Know? Well, yeah. And, and I'm just very worried that we're in some period here. How is it not going to be the case that if you have people in all, it's not just in the U.S., like all these places getting kind of completely spun up and, and radicalized online, like how that's not going to lead to more incidents like this or like with Abe, you know, and whether that's someone who has kind of a very nutty kind of set of, I think, religious views, as was the case in Japan, or whether this guy may have been a right wing extremist um, and got a weird right wing in Brazil, obviously <laughs> stirred up by Bolsonaro. So that's what I put a pin in just like, man, I hope that this is not yet one more sign that we're in, in, in a phase of political violence here. Yeah, because once political violence starts, it's very hard to stop it. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's very scary. Um, speaking of which, I mean, some updates from Ukraine. So the, the first is that it seems like this Ukrainian counteroffensive that we talked about last week against Russian forces in southern Ukraine might be making some progress. It's hard to figure out the reality because both sides i think are putting out propaganda or blocking real news so it'll take a while to know for sure but there's some you know positive anecdotal evidence um the new york times also reported that the russians are having to buy rockets and artillery from north korea so that's probably not a good sign yeah. uh for their ability yeah. to resupply their troops I, I don't know that i'd want a bunch of north korean shells um in my unit's uh, weaponry but the most disconcerting update comes from this un team that went in to inspect the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine. The head of the uh, International Atomic Energy Agency said, quote, we are playing with fire and something very, very catastrophic could take place. He's calling on all sides to withdraw troops from the area, set up a nuclear safety and security protection zone around the plant, and basically just get people to stop fighting around, I think, five nuclear reactors. Um, unfortunately, the, the Russian UN ambassador 
pretty quickly swatted this idea down so they don't view it as serious. Um, the risk, again, comes from the fact that this plant Can you imagine being that guy, by the way? That poor guy. Yeah, yeah. Or well, the people going to this thing? No, the fucking Russian ambassador. He got, he's delivering those points. Like, oh, he's a straight face. Yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, oh, we don't take this seriously. Oh, you don't yeah. take a Chernobyl yeah. times five seriously? Yeah, I mean, like, but the risk, right, is this plant operates, its cooling systems are powered by outside power for safety reasons. And those, those power lines keep getting messed up by either fires or literally shelling. So the grid keeps going to having to operate on power that it's creating on its own, which all these nuclear experts say never ends well. Um, it seems likely that all the Russian troops in this area have no idea what the stakes are. They probably are getting no good information. They don't know that they're risking creating a nuclear meltdown that will impact their families as well. So genuinely terrifying. Ben, I've been like thinking about this a lot ever since I keep reading about it. And like, I can't imagine any scenarios really where I would want NATO to get directly involved, except for maybe to secure this nuclear power plant. Maybe that's a slippery slope. Maybe it's a stupid idea. Maybe it's logistically impossible. But like, how do you create a safe zone around five nuclear reactors if you have to rely on Vladimir Putin? I just have no idea. I, I Yeah, I I have no idea either. I mean, logistically, I think that, you know, NATO, they, they would never allow for like a NATO, um, any any presence from kind of a NATO country, uh, not, never mind NATO. But I, you're right, like the, the alarmism of the people that came back from this visit was not reassuring, you know? No. Like these people went, they took a look, and they were like more freaked out when they left than when they went in. That's never a good sign. No. And and the scenarios again, like you and I have talked about our experience with Fukushima, but like and I yeah, we've all read about Chernobyl. So like not a nuclear scientist here, but read enough to know that like if you can't cool the stuff down and you start to have uh uh like a meltdown or a leakage, like it can escalate very quickly. Like shit can get very real. And I guess I don't it, part of the issue is just how do you get the attention of Putin? Um, well, first of all, the people in the area who are doing the shelling, like the, the Russians, like I, they're talk about the first people that are going to be like affected by radiation. They will die immediately. So part of me is like, is is there some effort that needs to be undertaken to just educate the, 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 the forces in combat around this area? Like, Hey, do you know what you're doing here? Um, but I think Putin, you have to get through to him. And I, I do think that, I'm glad that the the UN came out with like this kind of hyperbolic tone. It's the right tone. It's not. It's hyperbolically correct. Um, but I think this is a time to get like a lot of international voices. Um, you know, again, like the Chinese, like people that yeah, that the Russians cut off will listen to. Like, just stop. Like, just this is a global security incident, potential catastrophe. Just your fucking war sucks to begin with. Like, just move it as far away from this nuclear plant as you can in the time being. And then, yes, like, in terms of securing it, like, I honestly think there should be creative proposals about, like, can we get some, if if the Russians aren't going to leave without and allow Ukrainians to retake this, can we bring in some other, can we find some people from some other country that everybody should Chinese troops, I don't care, anybody. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah, like I, I, I'm not Chinese, but like, like anybody, like any, any third country or collection of countries, just secure this place. Make sure that there are people there who can run it. 
Um, and that has to be, I think, a subject of a lot of international effort. This is a good thing for the UN to focus on. It's not like the UN's going to be has been able to stop this war, but like things like the grain crisis, the food crisis, the, this nuclear crisis, like this is this is where I think you want the UN to to be working with like a broad the broadest possible number of countries. Yeah, I mean, and look, the, and there's a second energy crisis, which we've talked about this many times, but the Russians have now officially cut off supplies of natural gas to Europe through the Nord Stream 1 pipeline until they say, until the West lifts sanctions. So previously, there's been a pretext. It's been like, oh, there's a maintenance issue and Nord Stream needs to go down or some other pretext. But this latest announcement came directly after the G7 countries formally announced that they're going to try to cap the price of Russian oil as a way to limit Putin's ability to profit off of energy prices increasing and and fund his war. The Nord Stream pipeline, again, is a pipeline that goes from uh, Russia to Germany and and delivers natural gas. There's other pipelines. Some go through uh, Ukraine, some go through Turkey. Those are still flowing. But there's been a huge reduction uh, in already reduced flows. I saw one analyst estimate that Russian natural gas flows are down 80% since 2021. So again, like I know we bring this up a lot and maybe it seems redundant and boring, but like I just, I don't think the world is really pricing in how big of a deal it would be if Europe was basically cut off from natural gas. Basically, you're in a position where you're hoping there's a warm winter and that will determine what happens in this war. Like if, if it's really cold this winter, People in Europe might freeze. Uh, European economies will potentially shut down. Entire industries will shut down. If it's warm enough, they might be okay. But there's also, you know, there's the these droughts all over Europe that are reducing power from hydropower flows. So it's like World War II all over again, right? Where like D-Day only happened because there was a break in the bad weather or, you know, Napoleon or Hitler couldn't invade Russia because they were driven back by like horrible cold. And now we're back in that same position where we're just kind of hoping like that Europe doesn't freeze because Russia cuts off their energy. It's uh, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> in, it, in a word. It, it does. It, it And the reason to talk about it too is because like this is Putin's war strategy. <laughs> like this is talking about this is like more relevant even than talking about like what his military movements are in one part of Ukraine. Um, and, and, and look, I think it, they said the quiet part, like they, they, they moved from the maintenance point to just saying like lift the sanctions or else, you know? Um, and so they've got this kind of energy gun pointed at Europe's head, which I get, again, first of all, like to those who might think that things are going swimmingly in the Russian war plan and the sanctions aren't working, well, clearly, like the sanctions are having some impact or else the Russians wouldn't be taking this kind of drastic uh, mm-hmm. a- attempt to exert leverage. Clearly, by the way, the the sanctions are working, too, because they wouldn't be turning to North Korea no. and Iran to supply themselves. Part of that's because they're not getting the technological inputs that they need to run their own factories to to produce their own stuff. But man, let me tell you, like, if, if, if you were going to pick your suppliers in the world for like, you know, modern military equipment, um, I don't know that North Korea and Iran would be the top of my my list. Right. So I think it yeah. does show that Russia is a bit cornered here and and, and they're lashing out. Um, and, you know, I think the question is also it's not just a question of whether Europe can withstand that, which is a huge issue, as you point out, like how much is part of what's so hard for Europe in, in responding is that are they just bluffing? Because the Russians would lose a lot, too, if they just stopped altogether any relationship, energy relationship with Europe. So this is like a high stakes game of chicken. Um, I think what is clear is like if you ever needed an indication about why 
we need to get off fossil fuels. <laughs> like, I know it's not going to solve the short term problem, but I no, think it's, it's worth making the point that like in the long term, we can't allow people like Putin to have this degree of leverage over Europe. I think they're also going to be looking for any other patch they can find. I saw that, you know, down they're talking to Qatar, like, but but just, you know, open every cupboard, you know, in your, in your own reserves, talk to anybody else that can become a different supplier. The U.S. is obviously trying to help do that. That That's gas, but that's, you know, terminals and distribution networks and supply chains that are not all going to be ready and online by the winter. So I'm not suggesting that, but, it, you know, can it curb some of this blow a little bit? And then be prepare your public. And, and you yeah. know, I, I see each country is taking different um, approaches. You, you know, they, they may need to get together and be like, okay, what are how are we going to cap energy prices? How are we going to cap energy uses? Like, yeah. you know, Germany's trying to get people out of cars and, 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 and finding alternative ways of getting around. Like, uh, but uh, th- this has to be done now. Like, you know, before- And the Saudis just announced they're going to reduce oil up by 100,000 barrels a day. So they're yeah, fantastic. Yeah, Thanks another, again. Yeah, yeah, but also the success. Russians uh, uh, sanctioned 25 more Americans, including Sean Penn and Ben Stiller. So that'll probably uh, turn the tide. Well, I guess like the 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 Max said in front of the pod had the best response to that, which is, um, I guess Sean Penn and Ben Stiller will not be in Under Siege Three with Steven Seagal. You know? <laughs> Steven Seagal, Russia's most famous uh. American emigre. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Speaking of Germany, the Washington Post wrote a a profile of the new German billionaire owner of Politico, and it is a doozy, and we're going to talk through it quickly uh, so you don't have to read it. Uh, The guy's name who runs Axel Springer, which is this German media conglomerate, his name is Matthias Dopfner. Um, uh, I'm going to divide the piece into eye-rolling and worrisome. Here's a worrisome bucket, Ben. So Dopfner's analysis of the U.S. media is like that classic both sides, rich guy, false equivalence crap that he thinks the Times and the Post are drifting too far left. 
conservative media is too Trumpy. So therefore, there's a path down the middle for Politico. <laughs> but in fact, we all know that that path that he's talking about right there, those are not equally distant things, right? Yeah. It's like right of center, if not pretty clearly conservative. How do we know he's clearly conservative, Tommy? Are you just assuming? No. Uh, <laughs> the Post reported that he sent the following email. They say in the piece, Doffner's own politics are something of a mystery, but he sent this email to friends in 2020 that said, quote, do we all want to get together for an hour in the morning on November 3rd and pray that Donald Trump will again become president of the United States of America? Now, if your response to that is, well, maybe he was just kidding. Maybe that was just sarcasm. He also argued in this email that Trump was right on five of the six most important issues of the last half century. Those include defending the free democracies against Russia and China, pushing NATO allies to spend more on defense, tax reforms, Middle East peace efforts, and challenging tech monopolies. The Post says Doffner implied that Trump had, quote, fallen short on climate change. So I guess, I don't know, denying that climate change is man-made is just falling short at this point. But yeah, really mysterious uh, political views there, Ben. I, Real mystery is what I, yeah, this guy I, thinks. I didn't understand the mystery part. Like, that's not a big fucking mystery, right? No. N- nor is it like some some massively new novel insight that this guy thought he had, uh, you know, uh, on the, the golf cart ride down the mountain from Davos. About you know both sides journalism. Let's just like break this apart because like I was really frustrated that even like this kind of bizarre series of statements he made were, were just kind of taken at some degree of face value. I'm not you know uh, like or just just the fact that I had to read them. Frankly, it, it, it pained me that I had to read this quote about the five of the six. First of all, like I'm not sure that's my top list of the last fifty years, but like let's put that aside. Like a lot of shit has happened in fifty years, and I'm not sure like you getting a tax cut would be like in my top five. The last 50 years, like uh, challenge the tech monopolies. Like what, what the tech monopolies did, 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 I didn't, Tommy, did, is Amazon not here anymore? He, he whined like, about I, conservatives getting shadow banned. He yeah, didn't actually like, fundamentally like, change their business models like, or their monopolies. I, I was like, what he did nothing. Like he, he, he started too social. Right. So right. I guess Matthias Doppner, who who has a name like he should be like the villain in Die Hard 4, like I, I, it doesn't feel to me like like Two Social did that. Right. That's no. the first one. He continued a longstanding effort to push NATO countries to spend more on defense. That wasn't new. We passed the 2% threshold thing at a NATO summit in the Obama years yeah. and started to push countries and everybody, they, George Bush was pushing that. Right. Like, so that's mm-hmm. been done consistently. Right. Middle East peace. We've dealt with the Abraham Accords like repeatedly uh, on this podcast challenged China and Russia, like China and Russia, like emerged in a much better position at the end of the Trump years than they were going in. Why do, why am I doing this? Because I actually think that this was like a disturbing window into the ways in which people might try in the same way that everybody was relentlessly kind of some people trying to normalize Trump when he was in office, like this kind of post facto, well, maybe actually he did some things like they were quite smart, you know, like I think that's dangerous because it's bullshit. You know, like Trump didn't solve any of these problems just because he yelled at some things that some rich German guy cares about doesn't mean he's like the best president of the last 50 years. That's fucking insane. And the fact yeah. that this guy like owns Politico now is like like pretty alarming. Not that Politico was like a, a paragon of of takes that I appreciate before the, that ownership stake. But. And also, like, you know, I, I don't know how activist people want their tech billionaire media owners to be, but in Europe, uh, Axel Springer's staff 
uh, are required to sign a pledge committing to principles that include a disavowal of racism, sexism, and political or religious extremism. All seem good, but by the way, in the U.S., you'd be accused of like some woke agenda yeah, if you did yeah. that. But also, support for a united Europe, Israeli statehood, and a free market economy. And again, like those are perfectly fine positions to hold. I support all of those. But like Trump wasn't for a united Europe. He he called himself Mr. Brexit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To, so I, like the whole thing is just like it's bizarre. And like you know, to your Davos point, I mean. The, the piece describes him as often seen in black v-necks and skinny suits that strike a continental pose among the self-styled thought leaders in the power corridors of Davos, Bilderberg, and Sun Valley, uh, in that while other new billionaires invest in yachts, Doppner built an art museum to house his collection of female nudes by female artists said to be the world's largest. I mean, it's like, this is like a parody of what, how you would describe like, some elitist guy who has like an art collection and like goes to Bilderberg. I don't know. Like, I just, it drives me crazy. Everything about this drives me crazy. Like, cause this is the guy, this guy is like the reason that there's like a massive global right-wing populist backlash to like people like him. And yet he's the guy, he's also supporting, like, it, oh my God, it's, 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 if you, it, it'd be funny if it wasn't like so infuriating. Yeah, and they're, and they're like some random German guys coming in to buy a bunch of American media properties, and he owns like this major right-wing tabloid in Germany that's very influential. Like, I mean, I don't know, it's sort of like we observe these things from afar and sort of praise these people for being rich and tall and like having a square <laughs> yeah. jaw. And it's like, wait, actually, this is kind of disturbing that it's you're disturbing. making your media employees sign this sort of like loyalty pledge on a bunch of issues. And we have the, well, yeah, the, even just the, even if they're like anodyne statements that you don't necessarily disagree with, like the selection of the list, right? You know, because there, there's a lot of other things you could like. This is not something you should want like journalists to be doing. Period. Full stop. And and, and yeah, like an, yet another oligarch. I mean, Rupert Murdoch, another foreign oligarch. I don't know, Tommy. I don't try to be. You know, we we poke fun sometimes at the CNN alarmism online, but like you know, between like what already sprawling conservative media and this guy in Politico and like some right-wing dudes like, you know, purging CNN. Like, it, it is like, you know, uh, it's a little alarming. <laughs> like, Listen, okay. yeah. Listen, I think anyone can and should be able to, like, start media companies, invest in them, do whatever they yeah. want. I just, like, I hate when clearly center-right, if not, like, sort of conservative yes. positions are described as, like, straight down the middle based on sort of an arbitrary, subjective set of values that in a different context might be criticized as as too liberal or woke specifically here like disavowal of racism sexism like political extremism all things that i fully support and i think that you could imagine fox news doing a segment uh attacking you know msnbc for making someone sign yet here it's described as this sort of like down the middle you know new take on journalism like wh what is this yeah like here's a guy with like a different approach like bec because there's nobody else who's ever been in American journalism who supported like tax cuts and and Israel like when like and 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 and, and challenging the tech monopolies of course like uh, like uh, it, the whole thing is just it, it was like, weird yeah it was weird 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 story uh, okay a couple quicker updates that we'll go through um, quickly because we've been going a little bit long so you know obviously COVID is is still a problem here in the U S like swirling around but vaccines have made it a lot more manageable. I just signed up actually for my next booster uh, later this week. Everybody listening should too. But I just want to flag that COVID remains a nightmare for people in China because of the government's COVID zero policy and lockdowns. I think I read that on Sunday there were 1,500 new cases in China. But right now, something like 60 million, six zero million people in China are dealing with partial or full lockdowns, according to the Chinese media. 
that includes like major economic centers, big cities, uh, et cetera. Um, and you know, the Chinese Communist Party is going to hold its once every five years meeting on October 16th. President Xi Jinping will almost certainly get a third term in that meeting. But so maybe they'll like, I don't know about anything, maybe it'll calm down with the stuff after that. But there's also reports, you know, uh, that they might be developing a new vaccine that could be inhaled as an aerosol. Maybe that will help. But it is just remarkable. I mean, Ben, you just went through like a four day quarantine in your hotel. I mean, can you imagine still dealing with constant rolling blackouts like that locked down entire cities in September of 2022? It's just unimaginable to me. It's insane to me. I mean, yeah, I did. It was like three days, which meant for like four nights in hotel room. And it was it was pretty rough. But I and I found myself thinking like I, I it wasn't that bad. But if this was like a week, even like it would have been really hard. Fourteen days, I, I would not be here. Like, there's no question, I, I I couldn't do that. And and actually, people here. The one thing I'll say is a lot of people here have been commenting on this about how insane it is because it's this kind of arbitrary thing where it's like you're going about your life in in China and it's like all of a sudden. Nope, you you got to get in your apartment in fourteen days, and it's kind, there's kind of a brutalism to it, you know. Um, you because if you disobey or even challenge the guidance, like it doesn't end well for you. And and so I think it speaks to a number of things. Like one, like how much China has fucked this up, right? Like these are people that ran all these political influence campaigns about how great they handled COVID. They have fucked this up. They've shot themselves in the foot. Their economy has taken a massive, massive hit. I think their economy is projected to grow at the 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 lowest rate annually of the 21st century in China, like this is a problem. And they already have structural problems in their economy and locking down tens of millions of people because the government doesn't want to admit that its COVID policy is wrong is is going to have consequences for them. That's going to hurt the government too, by the way. Yeah. Also, like we don't talk enough about like what like the, the people caught in the middle of this, because sometimes they can statistics, China's so big, you know, 40 mm -hmm. million people, 60 million people, like just feel for these people, like the terror oh, yeah. of, of just like- People being, in Shanghai couldn't get food. People in Shanghai, remember, who were like yelling out the window and like, it, it, so this is really like dystopian, crazy shit. I do think the question that like you raise is the right one, which is that at the party Congress, after Xi consolidates power, gets his third term, you know, is made emperor or whatever, can he then pivot off of this and admit he's wrong? And that, yeah. that's the thing to watch. That is the thing to watch. Um, a quick update on Kenya. So we talked previously about Kenya's presidential election on August 9th. It was the deputy president, William Ruto, against an opposition leader named Rael Odinga. Ruto won. Odinga said he was going to contest the results in court, as he has done many, many times in the past. But a uh, quick update for everybody. This time, Kenya's Supreme Court upheld the results, and now it is all but guaranteed that Ruto will assume the presidency and Odinga will end up retiring after losing literally five, <laughs> five presidential times. elections. So happy trails, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I think the one thing here is like in some ways, as usual with Kenya, there was a lot of brinksmanship and unease, but the system kind of held. But like now, like will Ruto <laughs> govern as a small D Democrat? The guy has some autocratic and corrupt tendencies. Uh, so I, I I hope he doesn't. I hope he ends up being a, a president who delivers on what he's told his base that he's going to take care of like that kind of hustler class, the, the poorest driving classes in Kenya. Um, but you know, watch, wa let's watch out for any democratic behavior here too. Yeah. Um, Canadian police are still hunting for a second suspect in a grisly series of uh, stabbings that happened over the weekend. They killed 10 people, wounded 18 more. One of the killers was found dead. Right as we were walking to the studio, there were some reports that there was a second suspect. His brother actually had been spotted on an indigenous reserve in Saskatchewan where most of these attacks took place. We don't know the motive yet. Some of these attacks seem targeted, some seem random, but a lot of people were wondering and worried 
about whether this was a targeted attack on Canada's indigenous communities. So I'm sure we'll we'll follow up on this next week, but just wanted folks to know we were kind of monitoring this one. Yeah, just horrific. And uh, and again, you like the 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 if they had a you know AR-15, they're just thinking how much worse. I think about that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. A suicide bomber in Kabul blew himself up outside of the Russian embassy Monday, killing four Afghans, a Russian security guard, and a top diplomat. Russia is one of the few countries that has maintained uh, an embassy under the Taliban, along with China, Pakistan, and Turkmenistan. There have been a number of ISIS attacks in Kabul since the Taliban took over, but it's not yet clear who is responsible for this one. So we'll, again, keep an eye on it. Yeah, but I thought, you know, this is like a huge kind of embarrassment to the Taliban, given that Russia yeah. is one of their few supporters, um, given that they want to indicate that it's a secure place for embassies to be. So that that, that was my main takeaway is like that. Taliban's not exactly off to a roaring start in their governance of, uh, of, of Afghanistan, you know. No, they sure aren't. Um, okay, Ben, so two lighter things to close here. So at the top, we discussed uh, the new British Prime Minister, Liz Truss. I want to check in and see what another former right-wing British leader is up to. Here's a clip. Well, the working day is over, and that means it's time for a drink. Yes, it's six o'clock. Let's go and do it. Now, welcome to my latest product. Yes, it's Farage Gin. I know you've seen me drinking pints of beer. I love a pint of draft beer in a pub, but when it comes to home drinking, when it comes to a nice summer's evening, I just love a gin and tonic. Uh, That was Nigel Farage, (laughs) the former Brexit leader and full-time right-wing asshole going full Trump and slapping his name on some products. First of all, (laughs) bullshit that he waits until six o'clock to have his first chance. That was exactly my headline. (laughs) What do you think is coming next, though? Is it going to be steaks or ties like his buddy Trump? Uh, Let's see. Uh, Farage, like actually cigarettes, you know, like uh, he's a big smoker, smoker, right? Like a Nigel brand of cigarette. Uh, because six like six o'clock, six on, o'clock, you're, you're nine a.m. with the fucking gin and tonic, right? Actually, nine a.m. is just straight gin. Like you start watering it down with tonic around lunchtime, Nigel. Right. I right. mean, just talk about a Brexit grifter, man. This guy, this is like the ideological leader. The Brexit people don't get enough shit. I know this is where we started, but like, look at these people, man. They're they're joke. The leaders of this campaign were Nigel Farage and. Boris Johnson, they basically like burned down their own country, like cut off ties with the with Europe, right? Like it's a pretty major thing. And then he's out hawking gin and Boris Johnson, red, white, and blue gin. Yeah, I mean, come on, man. Like, and you know, it's some gross ass gin. Like, yeah. let's stick to some Bombay Sapphire. <laughs> stick to what works. Wait, actually, uh, why don't we have crooked gin though? It's crooked coffee. I don't know. We can work or on crooked that. whiskey or something. I'm, look, I'm down. Let's, yeah. let's workshop that. Uh, <laughs> lastly, Ben, speaking of steaks, there was quite a row in France now happening over barbecue. Uh, again, we got we to gotta figure out our scale. There's like fracas, brouhaha, row. We need, we need the sources. <laughs> yeah. But the backstory is uh, a French member of parliament from the Green Party named Sandrine Rousseau was making the case that reducing red meat consumption is key to addressing climate change. She's obviously right. In her speech, she said, quote, we have to change our mentality so that eating a barbecued entrecote I don't know what the fuck that is. A barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> leave all this in. Leave it in, leave it in. <laughs> is no longer a symbol of virility. I don't know. That comment pissed off everybody from the far right to the Communist Party. They all waited attacking her. The Times had a great story in the back and forth. Here's, here's why I want, like, I think all of us want to talk about this. She's right. It is absolutely true that reducing cattle farming in particular and consumption of red meat will impact climate change. It's key to addressing, you know, and reducing CO2 emissions. Um, I don't know if meat and virility are are tied in France. I'm not French. I'm not going to weigh on that. Here's my note. True or not true, 
let's just not make these condescending, presumptuous arguments, right? It doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. It's going to backfire. You don't have to attack people's identity or make them feel bad. Like, how about an argument about how we're all in this together and how like minor tweaks in all of our diets can, can add up, right? But like when you overstep like this and you condescend to people, you end up having a backlash. I guarantee you like the Don Jr. of France is (laughs) going to decide to eat more meat every single (laughs) day and put it on Instagram, right? And then the left just think you're annoying. Like, I don't know, maybe this is going to sound neo-lib. Sorry, but it's just a totally self-defeating argument. Hence, we're talking about it. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure the entrecote sales surge, (laughs) you know, like this had the opposite of the intended effect. Yeah, it's just, it's like, why why lead with this? I I mean, it it does raise like the, the uncomfortable issue of like, plant-based meat uh, or plant-based meat substitutes, um, which are not things that like, you know, as someone who likes to barbecue myself, like I'm particularly excited about. But I think the way, if if you believe that we're going to have to steadily substitute, you know, plant-based food for some of the meats that we enjoy, at least turn the dial a little bit. You're right. If it had that conversation, like I've seen like David Chang and some other people out there Mm -hmm. trying to do it by like, Hey, I'm surprised by how good this tastes. Make it hey, tasty. Exactly. Yeah, tr- try this. This is it'll shock you how good this tastes. It's a good a good substitute for a burger every now and then. He's not saying like don't grill burgers anymore. He's saying like this is actually not bad. Like t- t- it's actually really good. Try it, you know. So you have to kind of yeah, like there's another way of entering the conversation here. Yeah, you can be like you're you can't change your entree or else you'll feel emasculated. <laughs> yeah. <So what>? yeah. <laughs> but I'm just seeing like a having of, a burger. I know, yeah. Bunch of French dudes, bunch of French dudes who just want to grill out, you know. Like, I love this article because the other uh, Communist Party member weighed in and was like, "It's not about virility; it's about your pocketbook and what you can afford." It's like also a good point. Yeah, yeah. The virility, I don't get. I mean, I, I, don't I, I, I like, I don't know if that like, I they like to eat meat in France. We like to eat meat here, like, but uh, the viril- if you think that like eating a bunch of meat is going to make you more, I don't, I, don't, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that that's there's not a direct correlation there. Yeah, I don't know. There's probably also like a long history that someone will tweet at us about marketing and and big you know corporate interests selling us on yeah. needing to eat more meat versus other. And that things. may be completely know. right, right? That may be completely true. And the point is, if you want to change that. You don't change it by turning people and say like, hey, you men, you're not viral and stop eating meat. Like just as a matter of practical politics, it's not a, like a good way to frame your message. <laughs> Bring them along with you. Yeah. It'll go better. Uh, okay. That is it for us this week. Uh, ben, thank you for uh, for doing this this pod on Plus 15 Hours. The, the people thank you. Uh, next week, I think we're all back together, right? Yeah. And I'll have, I'll have lots more to say about this trip to Taiwan in the uh, coming weeks and stuff. Uh, great place. Fascinating place. Wonderful people. Like, you know, big Taiwan fan here. Um, Excellent. So glad to be here. All right. Talk to you next week. See ya. Pod Save the World is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our producer is Haley Muse. Saul Rubin is our associate producer. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montooth, who upload our episodes and videos at youtube.com slash crooked media. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. 
But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.